a minister was waiting in line. He was at the gas station. It was a long holiday weekend, and there were a lot of people in line at the gas station. The attendant who was there working was going as quickly as he could, but there was, it was overwhelming. Finally, the attendant motions the minister towards the next vacant pump, and he comes up, hey, reverend, he said, I'm really sorry about the delay. It, just, it seems like everyone waits to the last minute to get ready for a long trip. The minister chuckled. He was like, I know what you mean. It's the same thing in my business. <laughs> God's word prepares us for the journey that lies ahead of us. And there comes a time as you and I are are reading into God's Word, there are moments in our lives where God's Word becomes more than the stories that we grew up with. It becomes a part of who we are, a part of our life, our life story. And I want to talk to you about this morning one of those um, stories that was made real to me as a young man of 20. You know, at 20 years old, you're supposed to be you know, at the peak of your, of your life, your health, right? This is it. I'm 20. I know everything. And this is, you know, this is my peak. And instead, I found myself in a hospital, Yale New Haven a Hospital in Connecticut, with a, a really negative diagnosis. It was um, a fatal diagnosis at first. And I was in, put in isolation, and um, it, was a, it was a bad situation. I was supposed to lose the vision in this eye. I was literally covered with open sores and scabs. I couldn't even unbend my arms. They were just kind of locked. I couldn't even bathe myself. I was completely humiliated because of a life of rebellion, a path of rebellion that I had been on. You know, I grew up in church and um, was exposed to God's word and his truth and his presence from the time I was a small child. And, um, but there were some things that I saw happen in church, some things that were negatively done uh, specifically to my dad, and I'm not blaming anyone else. I just, I allowed those things to set roots of bitterness and cynicism about the whole, the whole thing, you know. As a young person, I thought, well, it's going to be all or nothing, so it's going to be nothing. <laughs> and I went off on my path, and that's where that path landed me, in that hospital room at 20, not sure if I was going to come out of it. So I reached over when everyone had left the room to the drawer next to the bed, and I pulled out the Gideon Bible that I knew was going to be waiting there, and I cracked it open to the story of Jonah. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. You know, in the story of Jonah, Jonah and the Lord are the only two people mentioned by name. And while your destiny and the fate of many people are at stake, at the end of everything, your life story is about two people, you and the Lord. And there are things about himself that God wants you to know that you'll only begin to understand when you follow through with the things that he's asking you to do. So let's take a look. Why don't you stand? Let's read the word of the Lord together this morning. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you. Speak to us this morning in the name of your son, Jesus. And everyone said, you may be seated. Okay, so let's set the stage a little bit. Nineveh was a city, a great city, founded by Nimrod, who is sort of like Bane and the Predator and Anton LaVey, like all rolled into one person, right? And Nineveh became a capital of what is known as the Assyrian Empire, one of the largest cities of its time. Now, the Assyrians brought many advances to human civilization, including paved roads, locks, the first postal system, the use of iron, the first public libraries, plumbing, flush toilets, aqueducts. These people were smart people, but for all of their intelligence, the Assyrians had a reputation as the most brutal people ever, completely inhumane. Things like skinning people alive, decapitation, mutilation, ripping out tongues, making a pyramid of human heads, piercing the chin with a rope and forcing people to live in kennels like dogs. Cruelty was their badge of courage and power. And I found a quote from an Assyrian general I'll share with you this morning. I think it'd be only fitting if I read it as Bane. I slew 260 fighting men. I cut off their heads and made pyramids thereof. I slew one of every two. I built a wall before the great gates of the city, and I flayed the chief men of the rebels and covered the wall with their skins. They make you feel kind of warm and fuzzy, don't they? Now, this month you may have caught the news uh, that the city of Mosul in Iraq has fallen to Islamic jihadists. They call themselves ISIS, which stands for Islamic State in Iraq and Syria. And these guys are so barbaric that even Al-Qaeda has come out and said, we just want everyone to know that's not us. Over the past few days in Mosul, there have been beheadings, mass graves to accommodate nearly 2,000 people. We're just talking about the last week here, folks. 35,000 of our brothers and sisters, Christians, have fled the city of Mosul as churches burn. Why is this significant? Because Mosul is the capital city of the, prince, the province of Nineveh. Right across the river, Tigris River, are the ruins of the ancient city of Nineveh in the Bible. So you don't even have to imagine this city, Nineveh. We've got it in the headlines today. So let's meet Jonah. Now, Jonah was born and raised in a really small podunk town called Gath Heifer. Nothing exciting ever happened in Gath Heifer, ever. And that was just the way that Jonah liked it. Jonah's name means dove. And you know, uh, Jonah's mom probably named him while dad was away on a business trip. You know, he comes home, dove, honey, I was going to name him like tiger claw or wolf or something cool like that. But he's my little snuggle dumpling, my little dove. And the name stuck. And Jonah grows up into a deeply religious man, and his heart was stirred by the ministries of Elijah and Elisha and the preaching of prophets like Amos. And Jonah, too, was given a message from God for the king, Jeroboam. And as a bonus, it happened to be a positive political message. In spite of the king's corruption, God spoke through Jonah that he would reclaim some of the lost territory of Israel. Now, you can imagine Jonah has his first successful venture as a prophet. He has an audience with the king. He's feeling pretty good about the whole serving God thing. And then God speaks again. And this time, 
Jonah doesn't like what he hears. This is not, God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. It's not, this is your best life now. No, this is bad news from God. And this is the question that each one of us has to answer. What are you going to do when God says something that you don't like? How will you respond when God answers your prayer with no? When God's agenda and your agenda are at odds? I know you've been there. I've been there too. And we are all more like Jonah than we care to admit. First, God calls Jonah. He gives him a mission, a message, and God has given the same to us. We are all called. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. The call from God to get involved is urgent. The time is now. The needs are pressing. The call is not about your convenience. It's not about your comfort or your dreams. The call is always about others. And God wants you to speak up and to tell everyone about who he is and why it's so important to know him and come to him. Now, does God need you or me? No. God doesn't have any needs. God wants you. And he wants to use you in unique ways to draw others to himself because there's things about himself that you'll only understand as you respond in obedience to him. Peter said, if, even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And don't fear their intimidation. Don't be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Now, many will say, look, I'm not a spiritual person. I don't, feel, I don't see angels or have dreams. I don't have a call from God. That's for preachers and missionaries. Wrong answer. Bill Wilson said, the need is the call. And there are people in your life that need to hear from you. And while God does call men and women for special, in special ways to preach and to teach and to equip, being a witness is a command to every one of us who follows after Jesus. The devil wants you to sit down and shut up, but now is the time for you to speak out courageously about who God is to you. Speak out about what you know to be true because your words and your obedience and your compassion can and will make a difference. Never doubt that. Now, one of the times Jesus is giving a parable about what the kingdom of heaven is like, he said, it's like a king whose son is about to get married, and he wants to throw this huge wedding party, and so he invites all of the nobility to come to celebrate the wedding of his son, but every single one of them say, no, I'm not going to come. I'm too busy. I've got property. I've got my family stuff. I've got my business affairs. I'm not coming. And so finally the king says to his servants, go out into the streets, invite everyone who wants to come, compel them to come to the wedding. We are compelled to bring them in. Now, God may not be asking us to fly over to Mosul or the Baghdad Square or somewhere and preach repentance. However, our lives are meant to compel. How, how do we do that? 
A man was walking down the beach and he comes across a bottle. So he picks it up and he pulls out the cork and poof, a genie jumps out. And the genie says, thank you for freeing me from the bottle. In return, I will grant you three wishes. And the man says, that's great. I've always dreamed of this moment and I know exactly what I want. First, I want a billion dollars in a Swiss bank account. Poof, there's a flash of light and a piece of paper with all the account numbers appears in his hand. And he says, next, I want a brand new red Ferrari. Poof, a flash of light and there in front of him, a brand new Ferrari appears. And he says, finally, I want to be irresistibly compelling to women. And poof, there's a flash of light and he turns into a box of chocolates. Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. People are looking for a little less conversation, a little more action, please. All this conversation ain't satisfaction. Okay, so you're going to go home and someone's going to ask you, what did he preach on? And you're going to say, I don't know, he sang like Elvis. I don't know what the... Let's refocus, people. Compelling. Is my life compelling? The decisions that you make, the standards that you set, the way that you treat other people. Your life is either compelling people to Christ or pushing them away from him. Compel with your love for God and your love for other people. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Last month, we worked so hard as a church. We were preparing for a Grateful Nation Remembers, and so many hours and so much labor went into preparing a Memorial Day weekend like like none other. But you know, it's not the skill of the actors. It's not the precision of the lighting. It's not all the details of our sets that change hearts. It's the compelling love in this church that the veterans feel when they come here. It is God's love flowing through us, motivating us to do all those things with excellence, saturating this room When God's love is flowing through us, it's compelling, it's powerful, it's transformative. And now here we pick up with Jonah, and God gives him a direct order, and Jonah says no to God. And not just no, but Jonah makes it as big a no as possible by leaving town, by securing a cargo ship for a three-year round trip to a place as far away as he could get, Jonah rebels with all of the fire and the intensity that God intended him to obey. And just like Jonah, we have, at one point or another, blown it, haven't we? We've rebelled. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We knowingly and willingly walked out on God, when things did not go our way. We took our toys and we marched home. We stiffened our necks, we stuck out our lip, and we decided that we were gonna show God. 
Each one of us has been guilty of being a manipulative, pouty brat, rejecting God because we felt that he was being unfair or unreasonable. It's when we fail to see our own desperate need for God that we begin to focus on the faults and the failures of others. We feel justified in arguing with God, even committing outright treason or disobedience against him. When you know God and you know what he wants for you and you deliberately and stubbornly go against that, you'll find yourself acting out even more than people who are just sort of stumbling through life and they don't know God. Ultimately, rebellion is a mission that you are carrying out for the wrong side. It's treason. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Rebellion is an exchange. In business, you know, the idea is to buy low, sell high, whatever the exchange is. It's money, it's property, whatever it is. When we repent, we exchange our sins for God's righteousness. We exchange our will for God's will. We exchange the temporary treasures of this world for eternal things. And we're on the winning end of that transaction. Conversely, when we rebel, we are reversing all of that. We are giving up God's blessing. We are giving up His divine protection. We're giving up His will for our will. When we garage sale the priceless, eternal gifts of God for short-term desires, that's a losing equation. And when people are in rebellion, they start telling themselves and others a string of lies. For example, I came across this very rare ancient manuscript of Jonah, the story of Jonah that I want to share with you, where Jonah accidentally bumps into his pastor at the port of the boat docks. And it goes something like this. Jonah says, uh, Pastor Michael, <clears throat> what if are you doing here? Uh, I mean, uh, I didn't expect to see you today. And his pastor says, well, you know, I was just out for a walk and the Lord put your trip to Nineveh on my heart. And so here I am just praying for you and boom, here you are. Now, hey, isn't Nineveh in the other direction? Well, I've, I've prayed about it and, and God wants me to be happy in Tarshish. I mean, you know, uh, they, they need the Lord in Tarshish too. Oh, well, Joe, but what about God, what God said to you? Why are the pastors at Gath Heifer Christian Center so nosy? Look, I have the money, the ship's available, it's obviously God's will. Oh, so Joe, are you saying that God suddenly changed his mind? I have peace about this decision in my heart. Does any of this sound familiar? Okay. God said, go east. Jonah said, I'm going west. And when you look at the text, you see that he goes down to Joppa, he goes down to the hold of the ship, he goes down into the sea, and then he goes down into the belly of a great fish. And that's not a coincidence, it's a statement about what happens when we disobey God. Because anytime you run from God, you never go up, you always go When we decide to run from the Lord, Satan is happy to provide the transportation 
Jonah has now fled God in every sphere possible. Geographically, he's gone west instead of east. Directionally, he's going down instead of up. Financially, he's liquidized his wealth to purchase the ship. Relationally, he's fleeing God's presence. And now, here's some good news. Whether you like it or not, (laughs) God is going to come after us. Thank you, Lord. Now, with some of you, God's not even going to let you step foot on that boat to Tarshish. Nope. Nope, he had to roadblock you and your stupid rebellion early in the game because he knew you'd never survive it. You'd never survive the storm, and you certainly wouldn't survive the fish. No, he knew you were going to get sucked into a series of sins so great that you would not be able to recover, so he let your boss catch you in that lie. He let your family find out what was really going on before the permanent damage was done. All of us are here in this room Because at one point or another, likely several times over, God has been pursuing you with an unstoppable love. And I'll never forget, in my late teens, I was causing so much havoc and grief at home with my family because I was in total rebellion. I was arguing with my dad about something stupid. I don't even remember what now. And I was at the top of the stairs, and he was at the bottom of the stairs. And he looks up at me. And he says, Michael, God is going to kick your, and he said a word that rhymes with bass. (laughs) He's been waiting for a long time for applause from that sermon. And that's exactly what happened to me. And that's exactly what happened to Jonah. And that's exactly what is going to happen to everyone who thinks the rules don't apply to them and persist in rebellion. Sometimes God pursues us with a storm or a fish or difficult circumstances. It says, the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose, the ship threatened to break up. It says later, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. A lot of people say, oh, I'm in a struggle, but ah, I keep fighting. But if the one you're fighting is God, I assure you, you are going to lose. And this is the difference between Jonah and Job. Both men are faced with overwhelming problems, but the source of Job's problems was Satan trying to rattle his faith, right? While the source of Jonah's problems was God dealing with his rebellion. So how can you tell if the storm you're in is from Satan or from God? Let me ask this. When was the last time you heard God's voice? The last words God spoke to Jonah were the instructions that he rejected. Are you following through with the things that God has been talking to you about? Or are you delaying your obedience, ignoring the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit? If you won't listen to his quiet whispers, I promise you, God knows how to shout loud enough to get your attention. Remember that Jesus and Jonah both slept in boats in the middle of storms. Now, if Jesus is the captain of your heart and you are fully surrendered to him, well, then he's going to say, peace, be still. And you can have peace because your heart is under his command. But if you have a rebel heart like Jonah, 
there is no peace inside of you. You have no spiritual authority, and the circumstances are just going to continue to get worse. Is the path you are on the one that God has put you on, or is it the one that is most comfortable to you? It says Jonah ran from the Lord. I'll never forget being in that hospital room and my mom coming in and rubbing the medication over the the scabby sores that were on my body. And I remember saying to her, Mom, if God is just, I'm going to die in this hospital. But if he's merciful, I will live. And tears were rolling down her cheeks, and she was like, oh, honey, he's both. And this is the point. You can't run from God. You are either running from his mercy into his judgment on the road of rebellion, or you are running from his judgment to his mercy on the road of repentance. There are no other destinations. Are others suffering because of your decisions? It says, then the sailors said to each other, come, let's cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And so they asked him, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? Your rebellion will lead to bad decisions that are going to negatively affect everyone around you. It's the same idea in that Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life. You remember, in a moment of selfish self-pity, George Bailey wishes he was never alive. And the angel shows him how his absence negatively affects his family and the entire town. When you aren't where you're supposed to be, everyone suffers. If you stubbornly stay on the wrong path, the danger here is that God will give you what you're asking for. And here is my warning to you from the Lord. There comes a point if you persist in pushing him away, ignoring his voice, insisting on your own way, that God drops his hands and lets you walk. And that fact alone should strike fear into your heart and cause you to repent and run back to him unless you are so callous in your heart that you don't care what God thinks or how he feels. It's about what you want. And if pushed away long enough, God will let you have what it is that you think you want. In Psalms, it says, he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. And this verse references what happens when the Hebrew people got tired of eating manna in the desert. They began to complain to Moses and complain to God to the point where God sent them all the birds they could manage to stuff in their face, right? But then they got sick on them. They were like, we're sick of the food that God has been providing for us for free every single day. I'm bored with God's grace. I need me some sin to rev my engine. I've been good for a long time. You know, I I deserve a reward. There's a spiritual exchange that takes place when you keep demanding your own way, when you stop being thankful for what God has done and for who he is to you. You aren't humbled anymore that you even get to have a relationship with God. You take him for granted. You complain about the things you feel that you deserve to have. You don't like how things are being done. You're fixated on what you don't have rather than what you do have. And leanness comes into your soul, 
and you reach out to feed your soul on things that aren't coming from God, and your soul goes into starvation mode, and you don't even know it, and you keep stuffing more and more and more and more in, but you need more and more to get the same feeling of fullness until spiritual sickness sets in. If you're asking how far can I walk away from God and still make heaven, you're asking the wrong question. David said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Search, search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offense in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. The storm and the fish, these were God's mercy. He, he could have just killed Jonah, chosen somebody else, but he kept pursuing so why, why didn't God just kill Jonah and pick another prophet? I mean, it certainly would have been quicker than spending time preparing a big storm and preparing a giant fish and waiting for several days for him to figure it out. Jeremiah writes, this I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. The storm and the fish was God's mercy to Jonah. Scaly, scary, stuff of nightmares, monstrous mercies that threatened Jonah's very life in salt water and digestive juice. The kind of mercy that ate away his hair and bleached his flesh. The kind of severe mercy that crushed his pride and crushed his rebellious heart down to fine powder. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. So now we're in the storm with Jonah. We've been swallowed by the Loch Ness monster. And so now what? Now it's time to get real. The worst lies are the ones that we tell ourselves. My boss won't know if I'm wasting, you know, company time or money. Hey, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? God will understand. Hey, God's going to forgive me. It's not like I'm hurting anyone. Jesus said that when Satan lies, he's speaking his native language. He invented lying. And Satan wants your head so pumped full of lies that it, the very idea of the truth becomes scary to you. The time has come for honesty and truth in our lives. Get honest with yourself about who you are and who God has called you to be. You've been expending so much time and energy making a fake version of you because you're afraid. And I don't know what you've been pretending to be, but you are a child of the Almighty King. That makes you royalty. Embrace it. You can't be happy trying to be a commoner when you've got royal blood flowing through your veins. You belong to the king of kings, and you cannot be fulfilled serving anyone else. You know, church can sometimes feel like a place where you've got to, you know, keep up appearances, but I've got to tell you, there's no other group of people that you could be around that will unconditionally love you and encourage you and help you like this church. It's okay to be honest. In fact, it's the first step to getting back on God's program for your life. And Jonah knew that. 
In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me to the depths, to the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me, and I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. And to the roots of the mountains I sank down. And the earth barred me in forever. And when we are honest about where we are and what we've done, that's called confession. It's not about alerting God to what you, who you are and what you've done. No, he already knows all that. It's about you taking responsibility for your choices. David said, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me, and my vitality drained away with the fever heat of summer. And I acknowledged my sin to you. My iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. When we confess to God and to each other, it removes all the power of the lies. It removes all the power of the guilt. But it doesn't stop at confession. We must repent, just like Jonah. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Repenting, Jonah promises that he will turn from his desires and fulfill what God has asked of him. Repentance is action. There must come from the heart a change of loyalty from my ways to God's ways, a change of attitude from proud and defensive to humble and surrendered. Letting go of our demands and desires and casting ourselves upon God's mercy. All the good things that God brings into our lives stem from repentance. Repentance isn't self-pity. It's not just apologizing. It's not feeling afraid or feeling sorry, and it's not crying. Repentance is turning away. It's turning around. It's committing to make things right. Repentance is that inward change that manifests in our behavior. And one of the greatest communicators on this subject was John the Baptist, and he said, that we ought to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, if you've changed, you're going to do life in a completely different way. Repentance will affect everything from your relationships with people and family and food and your business and how you spend money and how you do church and basically everything in your life will be affected by the inner transformation of repentance. Repentance keeps us close to the God who loves us. It puts us back on the right path. And after Jonah repents, it says, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, repentance is a lot of fun to talk about when we're talking about other people, but repentance must be done here in God's family before we call other people to repent. Jonah had to get right with God before he could help others do the same. Peter said, it's time for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be? for those who do not obey the gospel of God. Some commentators say that it was Jonah's appearance that captivated the city. Some say that it was a solar eclipse that was scheduled around the time of his visit. Here's what I think. Jonah repented. 
And when he called others to repent in the city of Nineveh, his voice rang with sincerity because he had rebelled and he had repented. He experienced both the judgment and the mercy of God. So he could speak with conviction because it was his story. His voice rang with truth because truth lived in him. And our voice rings with truth when we talk to others about the mercy and the judgment of God because that's our story too, isn't it? And we can love people more when we remember how gracious God has been to us. He who has been forgiven much loves much. God's mercy is not of this world. It amazes us with what it does for sinners. Grace teaches us that God does for others what we would never do for them. And I want you to consider here for a moment how Jesus may have read and seen himself in the story of Jonah. Jesus references Jonah in many of his sermons, and so Jesus both verifies and identifies with the story. But Jesus was sinless. He didn't have the innate stubborn rebellion of Jonah. Jesus always perfectly pleased the Father. But when Jesus was on the cross, he took all of our sin, he took all of our rebellions into himself. Jonah and Jesus were both prophets sent by God to us Ninevites with a message of repentance and salvation. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Jonah was lifted up before he was thrown off that boat. And both were as good as dead for three days. And both saved others by laying down their lives. Everyone here has been an enemy of God at one time, on the fast track to wrath, to judgment, to hell. And yet God loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Remembering that gives us gratitude and humility. And now look at Jonah. It says, when God, God saw what they did, speaking of the Ninevites, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is one of the most vile cities that humanity could produce. And God was moved by their repentance. And I want to explain that to you here. God's not naive. He's not stupid. It's just that his heart of love and compassion is so vast. It's so pure. It has a childlike innocence to it. God is desperate for the hearts of mankind, you see. And this is why you and I are admonished not to grieve the Holy Spirit because he is the tender heart of God. And when I repented in that hospital, my health began to restore and improve. And I never uh, needed the plastic surgery or the sandblasting, and my eyesight was restored to 2020. Jonah's warning had a 40-day notice on it. But when God saw how deeply they repented, he delayed judgment from 40 days to 140 years. When your heart is in the right place, watch. Watch God move heaven and earth to help change your situation. Your response to God will affect generations and buy precious time to make things right 
But after 140 years, yes, God's judgment did visit Nineveh because God's judgment is just as much a part of his character as his mercy. Are you grateful for his mercies this morning? Come on, why don't you stand on your feet and give him thanks this morning?